Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm Kirsten. And this is Most Foul. Here we go, yo. Here we go, yo. Hey, hey, hey. I think it would be more standard. Should we script an entry in this way every time we just know what we're going to say? Or would that be boring? I mean, it might be a little boring, but it might also be pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) So, listener, you already know from the title, but this week and next week, we are finally attempting we're going there jack the ripper uh yeah i mean inciting incident of all inciting incidents right yeah i think if you've been with us from the beginning a part of this was mentioned in my inciting incident of the patricia cornwall portrait of a killer the jack the ripper story it was like one of the first crime I say nonfiction, even though now we know a lot of the science in that book is not correct, but (laughs) (laughs) one of my forays into crime nonfiction. Yeah. I mean, this one is just, it's the ultimate, you know, it's the ultimate, I think, for most, for most people. It's kind of for when we get that all knowing after we die. Yeah. And it is a bit cliche. But it's like, this is the blueprint Mm. of this type of notorious serial killer. Yeah. I mean, I think for people who study it, for people who write about it, for people who do it. I mean, from every side, I think this is a blueprint. Endlessly fascinating. Of course, because it's unsolved, it's still you know, lends itself to all kinds of speculation and study and opinions and back and forth. It's just the ultimate, the Mount Everest. 100%, I agree. But so interesting. And I think, you know, last week it was, well, the last two weeks we had our two-parter on John List and it was just me, talk, 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 talk. And crime, 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 history, crime. And for this two-parter, we're going to kind of turn that on its ear and give culture its proper place because, I mean, it's infinite pretty much. Yeah, the research was, it was lofty. (laughs) Well, I mean, this in the same way as yours with the crime, but yeah, we'll see if my... uh, my key mantra makes its way back into the cultural the culture conversation <laughs> in next episode. <laughs> so I don't know. We just take it away. I think I think, yeah, this is a we'll have discussion all throughout both episodes, probably. Okay. All right. So we're going to jump right in. Like I said, I'm going to keep it somewhat brief, even though, you know, we could, there are complete podcasts about just little parts of this case. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. we could talk forever, but I'm just going to kind of set the stage of the crime, the time, and then walk through each of the crimes, the ones that are so-called canonical crimes attributed to the killer that we know as Jack the Ripper. Mm -hmm. So 
The setting is in London, of course, Victorian London more specifically, and even more specifically than that, in the really impoverished East End of London in a neighborhood known as Whitechapel. Now, in 1888, there was a huge influx of immigration into London, Irish immigrants, Jewish immigrants, um, people from all over, and the population was surging, and this part of London was really known as being something of a cesspool. Poverty was rampant, drugs, alcohol, sex work, all kinds of things that people associate with violence and vice. And the streets were cramped. It was dirty. You know, we've all seen so many movies and television shows set in Victorian London, and this really is the epitome of all of that squalor. Even with the, like, fancy people Victorian period pieces, I always think, like, God, everybody must reek. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I'm sure you'd be nose blind if you lived it, but just, like, (laughs) like they're always so prim and proper and clean and it's just like oh what a walking nightmare (laughs) totally the people actually struggling in poverty right and then you have the pollution that you know was building because of the industrial revolution but there were still horse-drawn carriages so you know shit everywhere and i mean it just all sounds very filthy and vile even though even the grimmest parts of it have been very romanticized in in the media. And mm-hmm. I think that's part of the allure of this is that it's it's grim and creepy and gross, but in a kind of like appealing, mysterious kind of way. Of course, the crimes that we're talking about today, though, are very real and very heinous. And the fact that they took place so long ago doesn't change that. There's not much known about the beginnings of Jack the Ripper. In Whitechapel, there was really a wave of violent crime, lots of murders. And so there's some debate about when the Jack the Ripper crimes actually began. Mm -hmm. There's debate over which crimes should be attributed to him and which shouldn't. As an example, one of the early murders in the Whitechapel district was a gang attack on a sex worker whose name was Emma Smith. A few months later, another sex worker in the area whose name was Martha Tabram was found dead from multiple stab wounds. And so these two cases are often bandied about as possible early victims. Some people note the different MO. So Martha and Emma were both stabbed rather than slashed and We'll get into the details of the later so-called canonical cases, but the Mm -hmm. MO was just very different. But others say that, as we know now from studying serial killers for 150 years since this happened, serial killers sometimes change their MO. Sometimes their early crimes look different as they practice and gain, I hate to say skill, sounds very weird, but you know, they evolve as as a criminal, as a killer. But the first canonical case, the first case that more or less everyone agrees should be attributed to the killer we know as Jack the Ripper, 
is a woman named Marianne Nichols. She lived in the Whitechapel district, and by all accounts, she led a pretty bleak existence. She lived in a communal lodging house, and she did sex work for money. She maybe had a little bit of a drinking problem. In the early hours of August 31st, 1888, she was kicked out of one of these rooming houses because she couldn't afford it anymore. Mm-hmm. A little while later, essentially homeless at this time, Marianne bumped into a friend of hers on the street. And she was apparently a little tipsy and walking with some difficulty, stumbling around. And that sighting is the last time anyone other than her murderer saw her alive. She was later found with her throat slashed so deeply that she was almost decapitated. God. I know. And her abdomen had been slashed open. The doctor who examined her at the time said, quote, I have seen many terrible cases, but never such a brutal affair as this, end quote. It's just vicious. It's so vicious. And, you know, what now would be termed overkill. Mm-hmm. Just a week after Marianne's killing, Another kind of down-on-her-luck woman who lived in Whitechapel, her name was Annie Chapman, was also displaced from her, from her lodgings. And just before dawn, a woman named Elizabeth Long saw Annie talking with a man um, by the backyard of a house in a place called Spitalfields. Long described the man as looking swarthy, which is a word we don't use anymore because it's problematic, but what it actually means is kind of dark, Um, wearing a deerstalker-style hat, and that he had a, quote, shabby, genteel appearance. She overheard the man say to Annie, will you? And Annie answered yes. This dude was almost 100% for sure Jack the Ripper. Because a little while later, another local resident found Annie's body in that same yard, and she had been eviscerated like Marianne. Her throat also had been deeply cut, but the violence to her stomach and her abdomen area was even more extreme. Annie's kind of intestines had been cut out and thrown over her shoulders, And examinations of her body later revealed that part of her uterus had been taken. This happened, like, right in the pre-dawn twilight, right in full view of all the houses around this yard. So it was shocking because the killer hadn't really taken huge measures to avoid detection. Yeah, we can shut this down right away because I'm not trying to get into the conspiracies of who it was. Mm -hmm. But do you think this person was smart enough to know like, oh, I'm taking part of the uterus? Or do you think it was just like, I'm digging around in here and whatever happens, happens? I mean, just your own personal. I'm no expert. But from what I've read, it took someone with some skill and knowledge to do what this killer did. 
you know, that the cuts were precise and it doesn't necessarily, you know, I mean, there's a lot of speculation about a surgeon or this, or I don't know that necessarily had to be a surgeon, but someone who knew their way around the human body for whatever reason. And yeah, surgeon butcher, I think comes up a lot. Yeah. We're like Dahlia. It's like, yeah, that's clearly surgical. Right. This one, I've, I've always not been certain. Right. Well, and then you get into this idea of, or were they so smart that they, like, they had the knowledge Purposely. of a surgeon, but they didn't want to let on, like, to that. So, yeah, I mean, I think you could go round and round with that. But, I mean, I don't know. Personally, when I studied anatomy in school, you're looking at your textbooks, and I know this is history, so it was even worse. But it's like you look at your textbooks, and everything's drawn out, and has different colors and then you go to do a dissection and it's all just mush and it's like wait where's the green thing that was highlighted <laughs> in my textbook you know <laughs> and that's without blood right right so it's just i mean to me i don't know how a person without specialty knowledge could find the uterus mhm never never mind like get to it and extract part of it in a period of time and making no noise that the people who are literally like within 30 yards of you don't hear or see. I mean, no, that mm -hmm. just, that seems like too many improbable things. Okay. I'm sure we'll discuss more. So I, sorry to tangent in there, but it no. just was like, I, I wondered too, cause I've been obsessed with Jack the Ripper and it's like, could it have just been an accident that the piece he took was uterus and not, I mean, it doesn't feel like it, especially targeting sex workers in this way, but right. it's like, well, but what if it was just an accident? <laughs> like I mean, you I took something. Yeah. And I think that's why these cases that are unsolved and they're just endlessly interesting because you can speculate and they're, because I mean, the reality is it could have been, accidental i mean that is a truth is it likely i don't know you know but mm -hmm. of course it's possible anything kind of is possible and so i think that just feeds that loop of insatiable curiosity in, in mm -hmm. my opinion you know yeah but there were so many puzzling things about it i mean as i alluded to before the lack of commotion was baffling to people. I mean, how can you inflict this much harm to a human body and no one hears a thing? And again, mm -hmm. we're talking about the cramped, overpopulated, like, yeah. And it's August, so people have their windows open. I mean, how did no one hear anything and no one heard anything? So that added to this sense of almost like supernatural ability to be like a phantom, you know? Yeah. The next victim, victim three of, again, the canonical five, her name was Elizabeth Stride. And according to Jack the Ripper experts, she's kind of the most controversial. And some people do believe that she was not a victim of Jack the Ripper at all. Her body was discovered in a dark yard similar to before, on September 30th by a man named Louis Deemschutz. And he could barely make her out in the gloom. So again, I mean, Victorian England, 
there's the fog that's always in in London, but the pollution. So it was a very dim kind of place. It's in the dark hours. And when she was finally examined, she did have her throat slit, which is, you know, part of the MO of Jack the Ripper. But she didn't have the same injuries to the rest of her body. There was no slashing. There was no evisceration. Another reason that there's some doubt about whether she was actually a victim of the Ripper is that she had been seen kind of in a violent tussle with a man on the street shortly before her death. Some people thought that she was killed by an angry lover or it was just a common street hoodlum and not the Ripper. Well, yeah, there were, I mean, lots of murders. Right. It was not a safe. Right. It was not a safe place to live even without Jack the Ripper. But again, with the spate of crimes and the specificity of the slit throat, it's probably another victim of Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. And what most people kind of hypothesize is that he was interrupted before he was able to get to the rest of his MO, i.e. the evisceration. So he may have been still even lurking in the shadows as this bystander stumbled upon her body and kind of brought attention of the authorities. Again, this idea that he was kind of a phantom and he could elude detection very easily. That's going to come up a lot in next episode. Yeah. (laughs) The next victim, her name was Catherine Eddowes. And on the very same night that Elizabeth was killed, she was also attacked by the Ripper. Now, this is known in true crime circles as a double event. So even though the murders themselves are different, it's seen as kind of a combined event. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people theorize that The reason for having two events on the same night is because the Ripper was interrupted and didn't satisfy his kind of perverse need to complete his ritual. Mm -hmm. And so he found another victim. With Catherine, it's almost like he was making up for what he was not able to do with his previous victim. And Catherine was just completely and utterly decimated so the evisceration the all of it and more but just hours before her death Eddowes had been in police custody having been found drunk on the street and after sobering up she was let out in the early hours and basically right into the hands of the ripper mm-hmm. her throat had Which, been maybe it's a cop <laughs> yeah i mean There's so many possibilities. Her throat had been cut. Her face had been mutilated, which was a new part of the pattern. Her organs had been splayed out and her kidney and part of her uterus had been removed. And this kind of reminds me of, um, it was in the South, my God, where the victims were posed for, oh, the Gainesville Ripper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is why he was called that. But- just that displaying of the body in the most grotesque way imaginable. And it's clear it's not only that he had some kind of intrinsic desire to 
to do what he did to the bodies, but also to kind of inflict trauma on even the people who found them. Yeah, it's hurting and disgusting and shocking as many people as possible. Yeah, definitely. So later on the night that Catherine was killed, police found a piece of her apron on a doorway on Goulston Street in Whitechapel. Above that piece of apron, they found a message that was written in chalk, and it said, quote, The Jews are the men that will not be blamed for nothing, end quote. And within that, there are misspellings, and it's obviously kind of not the most literate English. And so different variations of the message were recorded by the police. So we can't be sure that the exact wording is how it appeared. But it was washed away very quickly, so it couldn't be photographed. I think, you know, the police understood at this point that even though the term serial killer didn't exist, they had a fiend, maybe to use some Victorian language, Mm -hmm. on their hands. And they also wanted to avoid any kind of anti-Semitic backlash from the graffiti. So one question is this so-called Goulston Street graffitio, was it written by the Ripper or was it just random scrawl that was already there when Jack the Ripper left the apron piece? You know, why the strange Mm -hmm. misspellings? You know, there's a lot of mystery surrounding that message and what it means and who did it and all of that. And I mean, calling back all of our cases, Mm-hmm. Like, look at the misspellings with Zodiac. Like, yeah. could just be somebody that can't spell. <laughs> right, right. Like, or it could like, be somebody oh, so mean? smart that, yeah, I mean, it's it's just impossible to know. And all of those possibilities are valid. And, you and know. And we'll get into it at the end of this section, probably discussing some of our own thoughts. But it's yeah. like, no, I think it was a very smart person. <laughs> yeah. Or a very, very, very lucky, less smart person. And I feel confident they're not Jewish. Yeah, agreed, 100%. So the next victim, the fifth of the canonical five, her name was Mary Jane Kelly. And Mary Jane Kelly is probably the most famous of the attributed victims of the Ripper And that's partly because she was young and attractive. And the way that she died was particularly chilling because instead of dying on the street like the other victims, she was killed in her own home. And because of this privacy, Jack the Ripper spared no effort in mutilating her body. A number of witnesses had seen Mary performing what were her final movements at home at Miller's Court where she lived. Over the course of the night, she was seen in the company of different men, and then in the early hours of November 9th, she was heard singing. A few hours later, before daybreak, one of her neighbors woke up and heard the exclamation, murder, and You know, as we said before, Whitechapel was a very dangerous place, so that wasn't an uncommon thing to hear, but Mm -hmm. she kind of brushed it aside. But then several hours later, 
Mary Jane was discovered. And as I said, I mean, I don't want to go into the gory detail, but she was barely recognizable as a human. If you've ever seen the crime scene photos, and we don't share that on social, but if you've ever seen them, you know what I mean. I unfortunately saw them way too young. Yeah, And my copy of Portrait of a Killer, which had crime scene photos in it, and I can still, all these years later, picture some of the faces. Yeah, yeah, same. (sighs) And I'm not a person who seeks out crime scene photos Mm -hmm. ever. Yeah. No, me too. I mean, I was the same as you. It it wasn't that same book, but... Just when I discovered this case in my early teens, I went to the library and I checked out a bunch of books and yeah, they have the photos. This this one of all of them, I found almost the easiest to look at because like I said, you could almost not even identify it as, as a person mm-hmm. in the photos. That was my take. The ones where it was very obviously a person, I, I found personally harder. Investigators then and now believe that this tremendous escalation of violence and slight shift in MO is probably because of the privacy, as I said, that he had in her apartment. There were later murders, as we said, in Whitechapel. It was a very dangerous area, and there is a group of murders that is referred to as the Whitechapel murders. It's this kind of surge of crime, surge of murders in that area around this time. But these five victims really constitute, again, the cases that most people who study the Ripper have investigated the Ripper at the time and now feel were done by a single person, a single man. Then suddenly those crimes just stopped and there was no explanation for the ceasing. I mean, nothing had really changed in the area. Again, the crime rate was was very bad. Now we know because we've spent so much time studying serial killers that sometimes a stop like this is because a person is imprisoned or they move or they're traveling or they're sick or they die sometimes. But because we still don't know who the Ripper is, it's difficult to establish why they suddenly ended as suddenly really as they began. I think that this is one point of interest, though, when people start speculating about possible people who could have been the Ripper. Were they in London at this time? Were they not? If they weren't, oh, maybe that explains why they suddenly stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's kind of a big kind of point of debate is why they started when they started, why they ended when they ended. Were there ones before, practice ones? Did someone simply change their MO. You know, they kept on killing, but they changed their MO so completely that, and serial killers have been known to do that. It's not common, but it happens. Yeah. I mean, there's so many reasons. I mean, you could die in a million ways, especially back then. So like, could straight up just be death. Mm -hmm. But like, if not death, there's no way the killings just stopped. Right. I mean, we know that, again, from all the research that's been done since then. Serial killers like this don't just stop. So it's probably a locational change, if not an MO change, or they still kept 
stabbing women to death and it was just different enough that it wasn't the ripper right or... air quote sorry I, I realize you're the only one who can see me <laughs> wasn't the ripper quote 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 <laughs> or their grandmother had them locked up somewhere mm-hmm. i mean you know if your grandmother was someone very powerful who could just have people locked up there's also that <laughs> <laughs> no, it's too early to start all of our wild ass speculation. I mean, we can though, because again, the structure of this, we really just want to give the highlights. Most people know the broad strokes of the Jack the Ripper cases. And yeah, we love to just speculate wildly out of our asses, or at least I do. Yeah. I mean, I unfortunately don't have a strong, strong like, oh, it must be this person. I lean toward they were air quotes again upstanding Mm -hmm. solid career as lowly i mean i hate to say lowly but like butcher would probably be the lowest level yeah and then police officer doctor surgeon of some kind and then i am not excluding the high class Mm -hmm. all the way to royalty and titled yeah 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 i mean i think you know, as you kind of go through the possible suspects or the people that were suspected at the time or people who have been kind of discussed, a big part of it is who could move around in that area without raising any kind of suspicion, either before, during, or after. And to me, that's kind of the core of it. And so I do think that police officer seems... Like, it should be up for discussion. I don't know of a particular one that was ever suspected, but, I mean, that's certainly someone who could be out on the street corner without arousing any suspicion. When one of the victims just happened to be released from jail right before. Right, right. Like, that would also be like, oh, that's an easy target. Let me just get this opportunity tonight. Right, Well, and, you know, we see with so many serial killers who target sex workers, there's this big kind of thing about the inherent, um, you know, sinfulness of it or and the idea that they're doing society some kind of service by eliminating people who are unclean or, you know, whatever their pathology is in the details of it. And I mean... I could see that going along with a police officer, just someone whose calling is to clean up the streets and then just going too far, you know, having this pathology and taking it to this next very twisted level. Well, and I like to work backwards, too. So that's like the Golden State Killer. Mm -hmm. And then think of like, okay, well, who else sort of would be around without raising suspicion? And that takes me like Green River Killer, like Mm -hmm. so like truck driver. Mm -hmm. Obviously not truck driver in that sense in that time, but like right. delivery Some kind of person. Yeah. Somebody with the a distribution route through the city. Like they would never raise suspicion as to why they're out. Right. Well, and I mean, I really <laughs> just like, you know, betraying my biases, I would love to believe that it was some like monstrous royal somebody. But could someone like that really blend? I mean, sure, you can, like, make your face dirty and put a cloak on, but could you really blend in that area 
if you were that high born and, you know, utterly trained to behave in a different way? Probably not. So I always, you know, have a hope that it's like, you know, the baddie will be the evil rich person, but I I just, I don't see it in this case. Yeah, I mean, it it could be as simple as like milk deliveries, like Mm -hmm. just someone who's around, doesn't raise suspicion. Yeah. Knows the area for sure. Mm -hmm. And is just a fucking monster. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really baffling. But we haven't even gotten to the letters or any of that. So first off, where did the name Jack the Ripper even come from? I mean, I think now in our current media landscape, we kind of take it for granted that murderers are going to get some kind of a name in the media. But for Jack the Ripper, this is a name that supposedly, again, according to kind of your personal theory on the case, was coined by the killer himself. So on September 27th, the Central News Agency received a communication that was apparently from the killer. After the first two deaths, an unknown person wrote to the news agency in blood red ink, and the communication began with the words, Dear Boss. The letter was really taunting in nature and made light of the fact that the news media had given the Ripper a nickname already, which was Leather Apron. And he also promised more killings to come. Which I'm assuming Leather Apron is like a creative way of like butcher. Mm -hmm. I think so. Because when I was going into that too, even familiar with the case, I was like, have I even encountered the the term leather apron before I was racking. I don't think it's in the books that I've read about Jack the Ripper, which seems odd. I was mm-hmm. like, I don't think I've ever heard that before. Uh, Cause it came up in my research too. Mm. And it was like, Oh, I bet that is just like somebody like a butcher who wears a leather apron. It, it's yeah. probably just like a, a tongue in cheek way of saying butcher is my it's guess. Like, yeah. A clever way to say butcher. But the authenticity of this letter has really been debated. And Andrew's going to get more into that because he's got some opinions. <laughs> yeah, I've got major opinions that <laughs> next week you'll hear because it's a part of the research that I really like. So I don't want to tip my hand this uh, this go around. <laughs> yeah, keep it, keep it. And the letter was bad on multiple fronts because it inspired a lot of copycat letters that no one thought came from the killer, but definitely jammed up the works in terms of the investigation. Mm -hmm. So the Dear Boss letter ended with this quote, you will soon hear of me with my funny little games. And then he signed it, Jack the Ripper. So that's how Jack the Ripper came to be Jack the Ripper. Now, whether that was the killer or not, we don't know. But the person who wrote that letter essentially named the killer for us. Mm-hmm. There were two others that I mentioned that are, you know, taken pretty seriously as being written by the killer. One was called the Saucy Jackie postcard, 
and it mentioned the double event. And it mentioned that before news of the same night double murder was widespread knowledge. So that's part of why people think that it was actually written by the killer. Mm -hmm. The third and final letter that people attribute to Jack the Ripper is definitely the most famous of them all. And I think most people are pretty familiar with this in its details. And it's called the From Hell Letter. Yeah. It was sent as part of a package that had a part of preserved kidney with it. Now, at the time, they didn't have the ability to determine if that was a piece of Catherine Eddowes' missing kidney or just a piece of kidney from wherever. The letter was much less literate and eloquent than Dear Boss and Saucy Jackie, and so it seems a bit more raw and authentic. It was also not signed Jack the Ripper, which some see as evidence that it was written by the real killer. But like everything in this case, the debate continues. There are people on both sides. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously we can't prove this because he was also never caught. But I feel like Zodiac was straight up following Mm. Jack the Ripper lore Mm -hmm. with their letters Mm-hmm. And like sending the bloody piece of the shirt, I think, is a proof point, which to me kind of mimicked the letter with the piece of kidney. Whether yeah. or not that is proof positive that it was from the killer as opposed to someone else right. with other motives. But, right. and if that did come out before it was widely known, that could also mean cop <laughs> would yeah. have known. And it opens the door as well. Like, reporters Mm -hmm. being around would also not be that questionable right yeah completely and we know people love to insert themselves in investigations now so that would be a fascinating lens to think of like of course it's so old and Mm -hmm. so little evidence of what's real what's mythos that's grown over the years but Mm -hmm. i think about that too like well maybe they were always around Right. inserting themselves like we know other killers have done since. Right. Because again, at the time, it's not only technology that hadn't been developed, but even just the general understanding of how people with this pathology operate, you know, to know, to look, oh, they might be here or, oh, they might taunt us. You know, the taunting part seems genuine and in line with a certain way that serial killers operate so you know but they had no understanding of any of that then and neither did the public you you were so right and you might get into this so sorry if i step on your toes but your word choice of fiend i mean people including the police literally thought this would be a hunchback with a disfigured face like it was out of any logical comprehension that a person that looked like an average to good-looking mm-hmm. human could ever do this. Right. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And I mean, part of that I don't totally understand because cr- heinous crimes, I mean, this was not the first of really, mm-hmm. like, we've talked about Vlad, you know. I mean, like, atrocities existed way before this. So, I don't totally understand that way of thinking, but it's absolutely true. And I think, you know, they didn't understand about 
psychiatry, psychology, neurology. So it was, it was like a demon has possessed someone or that <laughs> uh -huh. person is like a monster. Um, and not metaphorically, but literally, I think, you know. Mm -hmm. And this was just at the cusp of really the kind of shift of police work into more scientific, more methodical. And this is around the time that, you know, Sherlock Holmes began and this idea of rational inquiry into things that could be known and things that couldn't be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes first premiered one year before the first killing attributed, so 1887. Mm -hmm. He's going to... He's going to come up a lot next Make week. Make an appearance <laughs> next week. <laughs> and so, again, there were other alleged victims. The crime in the area continued. And like we've seen in, I mean, there's so many parallels here. In an area where people are down on their luck, you know, addiction is rampant. People are being pushed to extremes to survive. It's just a very vulnerable population. And so... The crime didn't stop, and people are unsure, again, about exactly when they ended. Was Mary Jane the final? And I think, you know, there were theories that perhaps the killer had emigrated because emigration was really, you know, ramping up at this time. And lots and lots of people of all different walks of life were moving to America and Australia and Canada and a lot of the colonies or former colonies, especially if pressure was setting in right. or there were close calls. Because mm -hmm. the only way she's his last victim was death or prison. For sure. For sure. So, you know, one theory that I find really fascinating, and this dips into someone that we haven't covered yet, but we definitely will at some point, is H.H. H. Holmes. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Right. That's going to be, we're going to have to muster some emotional stamina for that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, there are some people who think maybe H.H. H. Holmes was the Ripper and he had come. And, you know, I don't think that's likely because his history is pretty well documented back to childhood. But it's such a mystery. And he really is a phantom in the sense that nothing is known and he disappeared and so i don't see any end in sight to the interest i i don't know that anybody well i i don't think that's true i do think there are some people who have hope that it might still be solvable and i think not that long ago they did some dna testing on an old scarf or something well that's that was part of the hope of the book that I read, the mm. Patricia Cornwall one, it was following mitochondrial DNA through mm. saliva samples. Mm -hmm. And there was a partial match, but unfortunately the science has been debunked and mm. so much has changed in our understanding of those practices mm -hmm. and techniques. But I mean, I went along for that ride. I was <laughs> fully invested in that theory of it being someone slightly in a nobility and I yeah. mean, she did outline ways in which he could have infiltrated the area successfully. But right. I, I think the Occam's Razor version of it's normally the most likely answer, I think, does lead to butcher, cop, delivery person, former like war medic yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm trying to envision a way that the combination of new technology and 
the forensic genealogy that people do now, I mean, it's possible that it could still be solved. Although I've heard that even with a case as quote, and I'm doing air quotes for everyone who's listening, as recent as the Golden Gate Killer, the the family trees that they had to make in order to find him were just tremendous. So I can't even imagine for a case that goes back this far. I mean, it would it would have to be hundreds, if not thousands of family trees. And then there's the questions too of, I mean, f- going full theory, like I've seen multiple theories that there was no Jack the Ripper and that it was multiple killings mm-hmm. and sensationalization. And I don't really prescribe to that. I think the likelihood of that gruesome of killings just happening multiple people doesn't seem likely to me. Mm-hmm. But there are folks who follow that thread. Mm-hmm. And we say canonical. Like, I assume there's way more people killed. Mm. And when you think about escalation as well, mm-hmm. like probably the idea of like less brutal murders. Mm-hmm. Nobody suspecting. So, like, strangulation of sex workers, like, mm-hmm. basic stabbing of sex workers. Like, it could be years before 1888 that he'd been murdering. And then right. the escalation builds into these horrifically gory ways. Yeah, I mean, a, a near decapitation and slashing seems pretty far along the spectrum for a first crime. Mm-hmm. Both from the standpoint of, you know, degree of violence, but then also the the daring. I mean, I, again, I don't want to use words that glamorize it or valorize mm-hmm. it in any way. But, you know, it, it takes kind of nerves of steel and or practice to inflict that kind of damage to someone in public, you know. On your first time. that And then, like, right outside houses, that feels yeah. so frenzied. Right. And then there's pieces we still don't understand, too. And, like, maybe there were more victims and more killings, but I think that's one of the fascinating pieces of somebody like the Golden State Killer. Mm-hmm. He did, in theory, just stop killing and raping. Right. How? Like, that feels contrary to when we get, like, our Bundys, our people that go into full sprees. Right. Like, this man, Joseph D'Angelo, did stop. Maybe. I mean, there could be more investigation years to come linking him to other murders throughout the years. But to our knowledge, he was able to just stop and essentially get away with it. Right. Well, and, you know, when you kind of go through your mental Rolodex of serial killers. I mean, he's got to be up there in terms of ones that made it to a certain age before they were apprehended. So what I'm getting at is like Ted Bundy. I mean, we say he never stopped, but he was stopped. If he had just been left to his own devices and not caught, who knows what he would have done by the time he turned 70, you know? So... Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know because all of this is predicated on the fact that we only know what we know and we don't know what we don't know. 
And I'm about to say something that I hope is able to follow the logic in my head and that this isn't just insane. (laughs) (laughs) But especially thinking about crimes with a sexual component, like Mm -hmm. a lot of men do lose their sex drive (laughs) as they age. So Because we have the same brain. I know where you're going. (laughs) So would it be possible that that same sort of like natural loss of sex drive also accompanies the lack of sexual assault murder drive. Like, is that insane? I don't know. I, I'm a, a dummy with a communications degree. I'm not a doctor, scientist, anything. But I, like, if they are so connected to a sex drives, even folks who have impotence, like, mm-hmm. there's still that push-pull. So I wonder if there's, like, this natural decline in testosterone and sex yeah. drive and if that is possibly even correlated to the same fucked up murder drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've heard crazier hypotheses, for sure. That makes sense to me. And I mean, they do say that with other crimes, sometimes people just age out of crime, you know? I don't see why the same couldn't apply. I think it's, again, it's one of those maybe not so based in fact kind of (laughs) air quote truisms about serial killers that they don't stop. I mean, you know, there are always exceptions to rules and our understanding of them is based on the ones that we catch and they didn't stop because we caught them doing it. True. Except for what's his fuck who we didn't catch till later. I love the the phrase not so based in fact. (laughs) I feel like this part of the episode can fall into like we have we've got a lot of facts and research but then our speculation falls into that uh, category but I do think that there are a lot of things that lots of people talk about as known facts and you know they're varying degrees of based in science which we both believe in just for the record (laughs) But listeners, I mean, I guess there's not an incredible forum of back and forth type of communication, but I am always fascinated by people's theories, especially something like this. So if you do want to email us like mostfoulpod at gmail.com, if you do want to DM us through our social channels, whatever that be may be, and tell us like if there's a theory you really like or a potential sub- suspect or something with this case that sticks out to you. I, I mean, I, I imagine, Kirsten, you feel the same way. Like, I'm always interested in that. Absolutely. And I feel like, <laughs> I kind of feel like if you don't have a theory about Jack the Ripper, I would be suspicious about <laughs> you. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, my theory is just like, I feel pretty confident that there was specific anti-Semitic pushes, which then makes me think it was not a Jewish person. It was a Mm -hmm. person using that sort of xenophobia nationalism to their advantage. Yeah, for sure. And then I think they, they were a normal, otherwise reputable member of the community. Agreed. Agreed, 100%. I don't think this was someone who most people would have identified as like we said before a fiend yeah but it could be still a like a day laborer it could be a regular air quote profession 
and there's the off chance, like it's not a 0% possibility that it was somebody from the upper crust who was able to infiltrate. Yeah, definitely. But definitely. it's probably more likely that it's somebody in the community already. I think so. Or someone who would have some kind of natural explainable reason to be there. But, you know, I mean, it could be, you know, someone from the upper classes who, you know, visited brothels or, I, you know, I'm sure that this is an area that different folks kind of went to from time to time. It's just that very upper upper. I mean, essentially a prince. Yeah. That's harder to believe because royalty wouldn't even have exposure to know how to blend because they don't have opportunities to mix in kind of general society. Whereas someone in the upper classes is not protected from that. They would have opportunity to interact with all different kinds of people where royalty, it feels like. Yeah. How would they even get that opportunity, you know? But, I mean, could be philanthropist, mm-hmm. somebody with, like, a social reason to be there. It mm-hmm. could be clergy mm-hmm. who are already, I mean, we know how fucked up clergy can be. Yeah. And so think then about, like, targeting sex workers and blaming women and sin yeah. and sex. Like, yeah. so I don't have a, a clear cut theory mm-hmm. but i i god i want to know so bad <laughs> i know me too this would be my number one this i think would be my number one i think i change that every time we talk about this but this would definitely be right up there well if we go to mormon heaven and get our urim and thummim <laughs> we can we can find out the answer <laughs> yeah one day we'll know all Oh, man. Well, there's so much more to talk about. I think... I can't wait. We should... We'll cut it here and get into much more discussion in the next episode. Totally. I can't wait to hear all about the culture. Amazing. Okay. Well, listener, as always, we appreciate the hell out of you. Absolutely. And send us your theories. 100%. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review our show. It really helps us out. Plus, we'll read five-star reviews on an upcoming episode. This has been a Facts from Janet production.